what's going on everybody welcome to yet another episode of the core consults rx podcast cole myself aj in the studio for episode 189 this is 189 190 i was gonna me. say where we time. said that last time we did good well, i'm glad you remember i wanted to repeat it <laughs> it just I like that number for some reason. We're not redoing an episode again. No, not, we just not, did that. No, we would have to just scrap that. We've yeah. already done that one time this month. We have. Or last month, whenever that was. Yeah, so we're good for the next four years on repeating episodes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right, AJ? Skip. <laughs> okay, that's helpful. AJ, what are you up to these days? Did you ever find out what rotation you're supposed to be on? I did. I did. I figured it out. And what? I'm doing research as well. And we're about to publish. Stay tuned. That's all I can say. Mm. Okay. Well... That's world, all I can say about that. The world holds its breath. Publishing for the PhD stuff? Maybe. Is it groundbreaking? Are you even in the PhD program yet, or are you still faking? I'm technically now in. Mm. I've been accepted. I'll check with Amelia. I don't know if I believe that. Triple check. Have you you've been you've been accepted for real? Yeah, and I have her email address, so right. I'm just going to well, CC myself so on that. You, so you hacked her email. Okay, cool. No, that's cool, man. So you're going to finish the PharmD and then just continue the research project until you get your PhD? Yeah, I've got school. A lot of school. Yeah, that's too much. That is a lot of school. Me, I don't know. I me mean, Cole are thinking about going back to business school. Just yeah. Really changing it up. Yeah. Be one of those biz- business majors have the most fun. Do they? Oh, man. Not to hate on anybody who was a business major. Are you talking about MBA or like undergrad business? So, yeah. No, dude, me and you, we're going to Harvard Business School. <laughs> I'm sure they have fun too. I don't know if we'll get in. I don't, I don't like, know. I don't like my chances. Yeah. I don't want to go back to school. I'm just kidding. I like to teach school and then leave. Same, but I don't teach school. It's fun. Just, it's fun to teach the class and then I leave and then I have no test that I'm required to. I just get to watch people sweat and take tests. That's right. much more enjoyable. Yeah. I guess your test is the teaching. Right. And whether you do a good job of it. And that. honestly, A plus. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be better. Could not. <laughs> couldn't be better. Uh, anyways. So what is this episode? So. It's another episode, um, credit episode. It's right? another credit episode. Uh, ACPE accredited thanks to our friends over at FreeCE.com. Once again, um, they have partnered with us. And if you are an unlimited member of their website, FreeCE.com, you can get access to one hour of continuing education credit. Uh, after you listen to this episode, go take the post-activity test, pass it, and you'll get your credit. Um, to access the actual test, you have to use the password central, C-E-N-T-R-A-L, as in central nervous system, all capital letters, and uh, take the 10-question quiz, get 100, and you get your credit. And if you are not already a member, you need to correct your path and check out all of the different programs and all the content that they have on their website. They have so much um, good stuff on there. Uh, unlimited membership, you can get a discount right now. So we also have a link to the discount code in the show notes as well. Um, we'll have a link to the actual list of podcasts for those of you who already are members. And uh, you can kind of look through and peruse the library that we've sort of established with them. So we got a, we got several of them on there now. So make sure you check that out and uh, appreciate Free CE um, continuing to work with us. Yeah, I was looking at our list on the website the other day. Mm -hmm. It's a whole bunch now. I know. It's great. We've been cranking them out. We really appreciate them uh, continuing to, you know, they must really uh, couldn't find anybody. (laughs) Must have really been dating. They probably probably got some people that are ready to to bring on board and actually do the show correctly, but (laughs) we've enjoyed our time. For now, they're letting us stay. That's very nice of them. It's kind of like they're like, let's give these poor guys a turn. That's what it feels. 
So what are we talking about today? MS, multiple sclerosis. Yeah, it's been a long time. I don't think we've done this in like the last couple of years. It's been at least three years. Yeah. At least. This was one of our early ones. Was it? Yeah. And there's been a lot that's happened since then. Yeah, probably. Um, even in the last year, we touched on one of the recent MS medications in our new drug update episode. Uh, but we'll hit that again. And then there's a couple other newer ones in the last couple of years that we'll be touching on as well. Yeah, right? Yep, absolutely. All right. Where so, do you want to start? I guess just some background information. Um, multiple sclerosis, like, you know, what is it? It's, it's an uh, immune-mediated inflammatory disease. So what it's doing is it's actually attacking the myelinated axons in the central nervous system. It destroys the myelin and uh, the axon and you know, various degrees of, of damage. Um, and eventually, uh, in most cases, the disease kind of follows this sort of relapsing, remitting pattern. Um, so you get these like sort of short episodes of neurologic deficits and those kind of resolve completely or at least, you know, almost completely. A lot of times you don't quite get back to your original baseline. And then, um, you know, you'll eventually kind of have another relapse and then again it sort of slowly progresses in that fashion now there are cases where patients will just have a you know a progressive or secondary progressive um, deterioration which obviously is um, you know much worse prognosis and you know, much worse quality of life for the patient potentially um, and we'll kind of touch on that a little bit later too as far as the um, the medications but um, you know the true like foundation and cause of MS it's not hundred percent no, they think it's some genetic susceptibility, um, could be certain, you know, non-genetic triggers, whether it be some sort of a viral infection or something along those lines, some kind of a deficiency in the certain vitamins or things. Um, and then, you know, has this sort of self-sustaining autoimmune um, disorder sort of complexity to it that makes it a very, very complex uh, disease state. It is pretty complex, and um, we'll get into some of the classifications, the four classifications of it. Mike touched on um, a couple, uh, and, but the, I think the main thing to point out and to highlight that Mike said is it's progressive. It will continue to get worse. Um, we have some medications that can delay the progress, but we don't have a cure for MS. Um, so in about 30% of patients, um, there's going to be significant physical disability within about 20 to 25 years. So it is a pretty long period of time. Um, like Mike said, in some instances, there is um, periods of good followed by relapses, whereas in some other instances, it's just progressive loss of um, kind of sustained uh, physical decline. So there's a lot of signs and symptoms, as you can imagine, related to the um, neurologic deterioration. So we're going to touch on those. Um, and then at the end, we're going to talk about some kind of uh, ancillary medications that aren't specifically for MS that can help with some of these signs and symptoms. So sensory loss, uh, paresthesias, is usually an early complaint. Patients can also have various spinal cord symptoms. Um, so motor symptoms would be muscle cramping. Um, that's usually caused by spasticity that they have. They can also have autonomic symptoms like bladder and bowel incontinence as well as sexual dysfunction. That's very common. Um, cerebellar symptoms, they can have something called um, the Charcot triad of dysarthria, or they might describe that as scanning speech. Um, and you may recognize this, but it, it's like if a patient um, is kind of uh, saying a word piecemeal, syllable by syllable, and there might be different emphasis on different syllables with pauses in between, so just difficulties in speech. Um, also nystagmus of the eyes and an intention tremor. Um, optic neuritis can occur over time. 
trigeminal neuralgia, um, so bilateral facial weakness, um, uh, focal myokymia, irregular twitching of the facial muscles may also be a present symptom. Um, various other eye symptoms like diplopia, uh, heat intolerance, um, ner ner uh, nerve pain. So they can have chronic pain syndromes. This is very common, 30 to 50% of patients. So a lot of times there's medications that we'll give to help with the um, kind of central pain that's coming from the breakdown of the neuron. Uh, depression, very common. And then um, patients can even have seizures. I think 5% of patients have seizures, um, as well as other psychiatric disorders like uh, bipolar disorder as well. So lots of stuff. Coming in strong with the medical terminology, goal. Yeah. Did you like how I um, had, before we started recording, looked up charcot triad of dysarthria? <laughs> I bet you hadn't heard of that one. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I've, 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 seen, I've read it, but I've never, I'm, I'm sure at some point in my life I've said it out loud, but no, you nailed it, dude. I've never, I was seen, really proud I've of never you. seen those four words put really? together. Really? No. I did a neurology rotation. I remember seeing that. Okay. No, I've... Other Shout than, out to Mark LaPointe. I mean, I work closely with MS. I guess you're right. I guess I have, usually I just see it. I have seen scanning speech. I haven't seen that specific um, terminology. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure we have scanning speech when we on this podcast. I know. If, according to the mean uh, iTunes comments. I know. We at least have a, a, flat, a flat affect, flat with, affect. with our voice. I think we need to get checked. AJ, schedule us an appointment, please. Done. Thank you. Um, so prevalence, um, you know, the, it obviously estimates, um, but, or, uh, estimates, but in the U United States, um, we see somewhere between 58 to 95 per hundred thousand patients and the population will, will contract MS. Um, the, according to the national multiple sclerosis society, 400,000 individuals in the United States are affected by MS currently. And, uh, misdiagnosis though is common. So it kind of can make it a little bit hard to really determine where we're at. Um, in, in the United States, uh, internationally, well, worldwide, you know, we're thinking approximately 2.1 million people are affected by MS. Um, the disease is seen in all parts of the world and all races, ethnicities. Um, but you know, the actual occurrence, the rates vary widely depending on the population. Um, but it's one of those things that, uh, we have lower rates in the, in the tropics, typically, um, <clears throat> higher rates in the Northern European areas. Um, but there's obviously exceptions to that. Yep. Um, and as far as how to diagnose, so the, um, the gold standard is going to be the wonder machine, as they call it, the MRI, um, the, the MRI imaging. Sometimes that's not available um, or sometimes the findings are non-diagnostic. So you can do a lumbar puncture as well. Uh, the central spinal fluid is evaluated for oligoclonal bands and intrathecal immunoglobulin G production. And this can be characteristic um, of MS as well. But like Mike said, sometimes it's difficult to diagnose. Um, there's, well, we'll touch, we'll touch on this later on. Um, are you ready for the classifications? You know what? I'm so ready. Let's do it. Unless you had anything else before that. No, go for it. Okay. So there's four classifications. Um, the big one and the most common that Mike referenced is relapsing remitting MS. This is up to 85% of patients. Um, this is unpredictable attacks, which may or may not leave permanent deficits, followed by periods of remission. Um, it's still going to progressively, uh, their, their disability is going to progressively worsen, but not necessarily at any sort of um, specific interval that is consistent. It's going to be sort of random that they're going to have a relapse, and then they're going to, um, I guess, stay the same for a while, then relapse. And along with every relapse probably comes some progression of the disease. Um then in uh, less commonly, we have three other subtypes. We have uh, progressive relapsing MS, which is more of a steady decline in function 
um, with superimposed attacks along that um, line of decline. Uh, we have secondary progressive MS, like Mike mentioned. Um, usually it starts with a presentation that is like relapsing remitting MS. Then it suddenly begins to decline without periods of remission and relapse kind of consistently. Um, so it starts as relapsing remitting and then almost turns into a primary progressive um, presentation. Primary progressive is gradual progression of the disease from the onset. No relapses and no remission, just consistent progressive decline. Um, yeah, that one's probably one of the tougher ones, I would imagine. Absolutely. So there are some things that can be kind of misdiagnosed as MS. So the differential diagnosis is obviously pretty important. Um, just to kind of throw some out there, we won't go deep into this, but um, just uh, some examples. Um, the main differential diagnosis that we should be looking for um, when we're evaluating a patient that potentially has MS would be any sort of like a spinal cord neoplasm. So um, astrocytomas, um, things like that. Uh, patients that have sarcoidosis um, could also be um, misrepresented as uh, MS. Cerebral autosomal dominant arteriopathy with subcortical infarcts and leukoencephalopathy. Um, all of that is one one disease state. Also can be uh, can be looked at and thought to be MS in some situations. Right. Um, certain like extreme vitamin B12 deficiencies, so the subacute uh, combined degeneration of the spinal cord due to due to that B12 deficiency, um, progressive multifocal leukoencephalitis, um, vasculitis, and it kind of goes on and on. But yeah. obviously, the this is where the the specialist is going to be taking over, um, probably even much further than that, or much earlier than this. But um, they're going to definitively say whether or not the patient truly has that. Yeah, more than likely. Um, these patients will not be managed in primary care for yeah. very long. Um, you'll, you'll refer them to a specialist. I mean, you can follow the primary care um, providers can follow up with them and monitor and that sort of thing, but they'll probably still follow up with a neurologist for the duration of the, of the disease though. It's not a, it's not a immediately fatal disease. And so, um, if, you know, if a patient has an issue with medications or medications are getting switched around, um, it's, it's, it's a progressive long-term disease. You mentioned uh, PML. Mm -hmm. Remind me of the, I forgot, multifocal leukoencephalopathy. Mm -hmm. Progressive? Progressive, yeah. Yeah. PML. So that's a side effect of some of the medications, or at least one of them that we'll talk about. So keep that in your brain. Um, a subgroup or two subgroups of relapsing remitting MS um, can happen. One is clinically isolated syndrome. Um, it's a single episode of neurologic symptoms, and it's, sometime mis it's sometimes labeled as possible MS. Um, so it's, uh, it's an isolated situation of symptoms that are significant for MS and they might call that possible MS. You might see that referenced on like an algorithm that you see on up to date or something like that. There's also benign MS. So this is interesting. So patients have almost complete remission between relapses. So they have a relapse and then it almost goes back to baseline or complete remission. Um, 15 to 20 years after diagnosis, they have little, if any accumulation of physical disability. Uh, so a diagnosis of benign MS um, too early during the course of the disease is discouraged since MS can definitely worsen. So more than likely, if a patient is tagged with this designation, it's going to be later on because they're still going to have relapses. They're still going to have symptoms, and it might be difficult to determine if they're progressing or not. Um, so probably later on when you see that they aren't, even though they're having relapses, you might say that they have benign MS. 
and to again to truly diagnose MS is, is a complex process, but there is something called the McDonald's criteria um, for MS diagnosis, um, which was first developed back in 2001. Um, it has been most recently kind of revised as of 2017, and I won't go through all of these because it, it's available online. You can check it out, but basically um, it gives you some guidance as far as, um, for example, clinical. If a, from a clinical presentation standpoint, if the patient has two or more attacks, um, objective clinical evidence of two or more lesions with reasonable historical evidence of a prior attack, um, the additional data needed for the diagnosis is, is is none. Basically, the clinical evidence at that point will suffice. Um, additional evidence, you know, like a brain MRI is desirable, but um, and, you know needs to be consistent with MS. But you don't need necessarily additional studies. Um, and then it kind of just gives you various, you know, if the patient's had one attack and objective clinical evidence of two or more lesions, um, you know, things things like that. It kind of just walks you through. Uh, various potential situations to see. And when they say an attack, you know, it's it's basically a neurological disturbance. Um, you know, and it's typically the kind that you would expect to see in MS. And it, has, it can be documented either by subjective report or, you know, the patient's objective observation of the situation. But uh, it must last for at least 24 hours. So you'll hear people talk about pseudo attacks or single proxismal episodes, um, and those need to be excluded because that's not going to actually indicate a true MS attack. Um, and those are considered uh, separate attacks. At least 30 days must uh, elapse between onset of one event and onset of another to truly be like two different events. So yeah. um, again, check out that, that uh, the, the McDonald criteria for MS diagnosis if you're interested. Um, it's freely available, but it goes through looking at uh, cerebral spinal fluid specific uh, oligoclonal bands, like uh, Cole said, and basically just all the different potential situations. Yep. I don't know if I've asked you this before. Have you seen The West Wing? Uh, I've seen like commercials. I've never watched it. Are you familiar with it? I'm not really. I so it's, an, it's a political drama from the 90s. It's mm-hmm. very good. I'd recommend it. It's on Netflix. Hmm. At least it used to be. Uh, a good show. AJ, do you concur? Uh, you know, it doesn't sound good, but I'm pretty. I'm pretty good at uh, judging books by their covers. And so <laughs> we've no, yeah, yeah. That's all the information he needed. You just need to know the title, and that's it. That's that's why I have AJ around to tell me. It is actually good. So I'll give a spoiler. So anybody who hasn't watched it, who wants to, which would probably not include you two, right? Um, close your ears for a second. But the president, because it's a political drama, mm-hmm. um, they come to find that he um, has MS. He actually had it for a while and hid it from the public during his um, during his campaign and after he was um, after he was elected. And I remember before I was, I think it might have been in pharmacy school, it might have been pre-pharmacy school that I was watching it, no clue what MS was. And uh, I thought it was so strange that he would randomly just have like an attack. And I remember that his wife was a doctor and she would inject him with beta seron, which we're obviously going to talk about. Um, but he had relapsing remitting MS. Hmm. And uh, yeah, probably a pretty good PSA for MS. I don't think very many people were probably familiar with it before that. Did he really have MS or did he, was he acting? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just question. need. I just thank you, AJ. AJ, uh, he's looking at me like I'm crazy. The actor is Charlie Sheen's dad, so no, he did not have. So he has, yeah, he has. Yeah, he's got some other stuff. <laughs> he did. On. He did not have MS. Yeah, but the but in know, the show, he Charlie probably wishes Sheen's, he did compared to all this. Stuff Charlie Sheen's dad did have MS. Yes, or the the Char, the, the uh, character that Charlie Sheen's mm, dad was thank, playing. So you got to specify Estevez, President Bartlett. I just remembered his last name. Bartlett. Yeah, Bartlett. Mm. So, anyways, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's a good show. I can't. I don't have time. Okay. So the next thing I wanted to touch on was um, once you are diagnosed, 
when you are diagnosed, um, the situation, how you respond does kind of matter as far as your prognosis over time. So there's certain indicators that may give for a favorable prognosis versus an unfavorable prognosis. So your age matters. So the older you are, the um, more likely that you're going to have a poor prognosis. So if you're over 40 years old, that's a, a, a more unfavorable prognosis. Um, males um, have a more unfavorable prognosis than females. Um, your initial symptoms, how is it presenting? Um, if it's optic neuritis or sensory symptoms, and that's going to be more favorable. If it's motor or cerebellar symptoms, or you have a lot of symptoms, it's polysymptomatic, that's more unfavorable. Um, and that just has to do with uh, kind of what it's attacking first. Um, disability. So, of course, if you have disability earlier, that's more unfavorable versus late. Um, how frequent are you having relapses? How frequent are you having attacks? Um, if they're happening a lot, that's going to be more unfavorable. Um, during the course of the disease, the progressive forms are... Um, more unfavorable versus the relapsing remitting. And then that first event, the first attack or the first um, event that you have, how do you recover and respond from that? Um, if it's uh, a, a good response and you recover quickly, then that's going to be a favorable prognosis long-term. Poor response, unfavorable long-term. Uh, and then also, as far as the lesions, there's um, some things that you would um, kind of, that kind of makes sense. If the lesions are growing rapidly um, over the course of MRIs, that's going to be worse. Um, if uh, it's a single lesion, that's going to be better than if there's multiple lesions. So there's certain things that they can look at to kind of assess um, how it's going to progress and whether they have a more unfavorable prognosis over time. Good stuff. Can you jump into the meds? Yeah, I think we're ready anything for it. Anything else before that? Nope. Hey, Adrian, anything else? Absolutely. You lost me at the primary focal uh, leukoencephalopathy. Okay. Oh, he's Googling. Lost so. at the PML. AJ, but we'll, we'll circle back to it. Yeah, yeah, we'll no, come back to no, it. Let's, we're not going. We don't use that term on this podcast. <laughs> circle back. That we'll return to crazy. It. Yeah, we'll know. circle back to that in another meeting. It's ah, the worst. I'm like, let's just deal with it now. Yeah, yeah. How about we just finalize it and then we we'll, don't have to go. That to is the like meeting. classic meeting terminology. Oh though. yeah, you hear it's, about it's, it all the time. They just people just because people watch TV. They watch West Wing and they go, <laughs> oh, that's how they go. That's how people act. They watch AJ and on West just, Wing. They just do it in real life and they think I'm a businessman. Yeah. What's a better term for that? Um, I'll hey, get, I'm, I'll too, get back I'm, I'm super lazy and I don't really know the answer and I don't feel like looking it up right now, so I'll, I'll come back and do it later when I feel like it. Meetings. I don't think either of us are meeting people. Oh my gosh. I literally <laughs> can't wait to miss every meeting that I'm ever invited to. I will say that some small percentage of meetings have a purpose. A very small. But the vast majority of meetings... Are a complete and utter waste of time. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's, it's insane. Now, of course, I'm not talking about my department. I'm, I'm just talking, saying. I'm talking in, about cold. I'm just saying in general. <laughs> no, I know, for sure. I mean, I'm talking to jobs that I've had in the past. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> of course, not my whatever. current job. No, no, no. Well, the previous the, jobs. The uh, yeah, the uh, it's definitely you know. I feel like I'm pretty open about my anti-meeting, <laughs> uh, you know, rhetoric. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's very prickly between us, me and you. And, and meetings don't have a great relationship. No, no. I'm like, email me that. We got we got stuff to do. We're trying to cure Hep C, fix the diabetes. We're gonna sit in a room and eat carrots. <laughs> it's so annoying. Anyways, that's a, my first order of business when I'm president. Is I'm canceling every meeting in the whole country. No more, I'm no more specific. Carrots. <laughs> I know. What's with the carrots? I don't know. You always have like a veggie tray or some stupid thing. You got to waste eight minutes you doing that. You got good meetings then, dude. With ranch? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or is there celery? 
Probably. I mean, was ranch? Nice, it, it those are like nice. ten dollars at Harris. I don't know what you guys. Are That's doing. my kind of meeting. Oh my god! Listen, I don't get food at my meeting. Cole, Lunch and learn. First, first Cole won't spend eighty cents on shrimp with his hibachi. <laughs> now he won't. He won't splurge on the vegetable tray out of the you know almost I, expired you, section. You know what I did though? You inspired me. I decided uh, last time I got hibachi to do fried rice instead of white rice and pay the extra fifty cents. Good. Well, how'd that feel? Liberating, right? It was pretty good. I mean, it hurt. It hurt to think about, but it tasted good. Still recovering from that one. Yeah, I would not be able to get the money out of my pocket fast (laughs) enough. Oh, I'm gonna improve my meal. Yeah, let's go. Do you do double meat, dude? I I just I just see what I'm feeling that (laughs) moment, and I just do it. I don't even think about it. (laughs) Couldn't imagine. I just figure I must be nice. Must be probably won't be homeless from this. So let's just wing it, right, AJ? Absolutely and if wor- worst case, I'll just live with AJ. So wrong. AJ, I'm moving in. No meat. I'm a, no meat. No meat for me. Vegan. Okay. He's a vegan now. Okay. Well, AJ's trying something new. I say no vegetables with my hibachi. Mm, I like vegetables. Okay. Yeah. You gotta have a mix. We're all so different. Look at us. I know. Very diverse group here. Melting pot. <laughs> a melting pot. That's what this podcast is known for. Okay. Interferon. Let's talk about that instead of this. People are already like getting annoyed. They're gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What people? <laughs> you know, whoever listens. <laughs> Three people to listen. Interferon products. Uh, so we have our interferon beta 1A, uh, interferon beta 1B, and our pegylated interferon uh, beta 1A, which is the um, longer la- lasting um, injectable option. So that one is specifically going to last about 14 days. Um, the beta seron, which is the, the interferon beta 1B, that one is going to be every other day dosing, uh, whereas the interferon beta 1A, the Avinox, is, uh, or Rebif, is going to be um, either weekly or Rebif is three times per week. So you have to kind of figure out what the patient is willing to administer and uh, will you know, follow as far as, far as adherence goes. Um, the mechanism here is the... Uh, thinking of it in terms of like altering the expression and response to surface antigens, which is going to, you know, enhancing the immune cell function, if you will. Um, this can cause a lot of different side effects though. So some of the more serious ones to kind of be aware of can cause psychiatric disorders, depression, even leads potentially to to, um, thoughts of suicide in some cases, especially in the case of underlying, you know, behavioral health issues. Um, injection site necrosis, so not just a, a reaction, but even necrosis, increased LFTs can cause hypo and hyperthyroid dysfunction. It's a little bit of like a amiodarone type thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, more commonly, though, it gives you this really awesome flu-like symptoms um, following administration. So, and I, I actually have seen this firsthand, and it's really um, rough. The patients feel terrible, you know, for anywhere from minutes to hours after getting the uh, injection. Now, you can't pre-treat with, like, Tylenol or um, an NSAID or something prior to the injection, but it's still, they're not going to feel great. Um, monitoring. We want to check LFTs in the CBC uh, one, uh, three, and six months, and periodically after that. Thyroid function every six months, and uh, again, if it's an injectable, so a refrigerated product, um, you want to tell the patient to kind of let the the solution warm to room temperature um, before injecting. Obviously, don't do anything to warm it up other than just let it sit there. You don't. You definitely do not want to heat it up yourself because then that will definitely cause a burn. Almost, almost definitely. Um, and I'd then, imagine uh, it would not be good for the drug either. You well, know? yeah, I would say that's an afterthought after you've. 
put scalding. I can think of so many reasons not to heat it up. Yeah. Not that I mean, there's going to be metal probably in there. Probably. I mean, unless there's not a needle attached at the time. So, or no, to it's the a bag, syringe. So basically, we're we're just leaving it at room temperature. Is the moral of the story. I don't want <laughs> to don't eat it up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's also a very small like air bubble in the pre-filled syringe formulation, um, and so just make sure you do not expel that because that's supposed to be there. Yeah. It's a subcutaneous. It's not going to hurt you. It's no. not an IV. Like, it's not going in the arm. People think that it's like, I, know. I can't inject a bubble. People say that about an IM shot. I'm like, oh, yeah, watch this. Put it right in their arm. <laughs> Freak them out. Hit it's a vein. It's a good it's game. All, yeah, yeah. Oops. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's important to mention that these are refrigerated. The interferon products are refrigerated. I think all the injectable products that we talk about are going to be refrigerated, and you're going to want to take them out, get them to room temperature before you inject them. Um, so the next injection we have is glutyrimer acetate. It's branded as Copaxone. It's another sub-Q injection. It's an immune modulator for relapsing forms of MS. Um, don't know exactly how it works, but it's thought to induce and activate T lymphocyte suppressor cells. Uh, there are some uh, warnings to be aware of. Um, lipoatrophy as well as chest pain, it can cause both of those. Injection site reactions are pretty common. Um, also increased risk of infection, diaphoresis, and um, trouble breathing. Um, instruct the patients to rotate the injection sites so it can be injected in the um, tricep, in the abdomen, um, in the thighs, even the hips if need be. So they recommend rotating those sites, and that's going to decrease the risk of injection site reactions as well. Mm. Um, yeah. That's a lot Capaxone. Of, yeah. It's a lot of uh, options for administration. Don't really think of the hips too often. But no. That seems yeah awkward. Yeah. Probably actually the least, <laughs> least painful, though, because you can get a lot of... There's a, yeah. a lot of meat there. Yeah. Um, I like how you said the mechanism. We don't really understand. It made it sound like you just were like too lazy to look. <laughs> look yeah. at it. Like, you know, I don't really know how that works. And Lexicomp's down right now. <laughs> but then I listed it. You did. No, I I'm just it. kidding. Because what you would have really done is uh, grab Pearl's app. And when I say we, I didn't mean me and you. I just right. meant the In community general. at large wasn't 100% sure. Right. This is what they think. Exactly. This is what they think. But if you're in that situation, just like Cole was. Make sure you use your Pearls app. You know, they're always sponsoring our podcast. So big shout out to them. www.pearlspyrls.com slash coreconsultrx. Sign up for your free membership. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. Probably. I like it. Cole Definitely. likes it. And uh, yeah, does like a really good job. Lots of uh, new stuff they just added. Uh, smoking cessation, asthma charts, um, asthma guidelines and treatment algorithm. Really, really good stuff. So check it out. Thanks to Pearls for sponsoring us as always. I should mention, going back, that whenever I say we think mm-hmm. something, of course, I'm not talking about me and you. I'm mm. the mouthpiece for the medical community at large. So <laughs> I, I, I speak for the medical community. I speak for every single one in the community. People, people want me to do that. <laughs> I just feel as though that should be my role. Yeah, no, that be the last person that anyone needs to be speaking for the medical community. <laughs> me Bef- and you. Before you guys think we're serious and I get a thing about us being arrogant in the comments again, remember that? Mm. It's been a long time, though. It has. I even said, I was like, could you imagine if we were that uh, narcissistic? And it was like, they're so narcissistic. <laughs> you can't use our, our insult against us. That's super rude. We were being self-deprecating. We were really self-deprecating, and then they held it against us. Unbelievable, AJ. The youth of today. I Couldn't be me. I, it's I, not my generation. Oh, dude. It's my definitely, generation doesn't you, listen to podcasts. Oh, are you out of your mind? You only listen to podcasts. Uh, but you know, you I'm, might not, but the rest of you, the I people who are trying podcasts. to podcast and YouTube videos, it, both of which we have. You said? He listens to good podcasts. That's uh, it, dude. He's out. I'm uh, sick of this guy. Go on a cruise again, AJ. <laughs> yeah. Put a shirt on. 17 week <laughs> cruise. 
Terraflumide, <laughs> Abagio, um, oral tablets. We're switching it up a little bit. Uh, this is an oral therapy. Uh, it's an immunomodulatory agent um, that is going to inhibit pyrimidine synthesis. And so it's going to result in anti-proliferative, anti-inflammatory effects. And uh, it's basically the active metabolite of uh, leflunamide, which we, we just talked about. We just did a couple episodes ago. We talked. About I think it was RI. last episode. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a couple episodes, episodes ago. Yeah. yeah, you're right, right, right. Um, and uh, this one does have a box warning, just like the leflutamide does for hepatotoxicity as well as teratogenicity and uh, contraindicated in pregnancy, obviously. And um, if we need to eliminate this one so the patient can become pregnant, we're going to do that accelerated elimination to remove the drug. If you're not familiar with accelerated elimination, I highly suggest you check out our rheumatoid arthritis podcast. See, I'm cross. You're cross pollinating. Nice. Yeah, yeah. We could also just tell them now. Nope. <laughs> We're going to leave it for later. We're leave it there because you guys will be like, what is it? <laughs> or you could just Google it and find out probably way faster. But yeah, check out the other podcast. We got uh, some a decent review of RA. I never like to say good because then someone's going to listen to it and go. See, I always say good. Yeah. You're more positive than I am. Yeah. Sure. Decent. Yeah, cool. It's it's all right so far. What about fingolimod? Is that all you had for Abagio? Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll come back to like those in a minute when we talk about like the comparisons, but okay. we're just kind of running through them right now. Yeah. So um, Jelinia is fingolimod. It's a very interesting one. Um, so it's um, converted into fingolimod phosphate and binds to fingosine one phosphate receptor. So this is an important target. Um, a couple of the newer medicines that we're going to talk about are going to target that sphingosine 1-phosphate receptor, so keep that in the back of your mind. Um, it blocks lymphocytes' ability to emerge from lymph nodes. So um, there is one pretty important um, thing to note if you're going to prescribe gelinia, uh bradycardia. So it can cause significant bradycardia, sometimes leading to heart block, so patients must be monitored for at least six hours after their first dose and an ECG is required at baseline. So they'll call this the first dose observation. Um, I know just from experience that if you're prescribing it, you're going to work with the manufacturer to, to where they're gonna send someone out that have a program called the Jelenia Go program. And they're gonna send somebody out to the patient's house um, to administer the first dose and sit there with them and monitor them to make sure that they don't have any negative outcomes. After that, they can take the medication like normal with periodic monitoring. Um, it's a bit of a process, a lot of paperwork and whatnot, uh, but it can definitely be done. Uh, it's also contraindicated in most patients with a history of cardiovascular disease or stroke, um, and it does have some adverse effects to be aware of. Macular edema, so you do have to have periodic eye exams, hepatotoxicity, monitor LFTs, and then also monitor a CBC uh, for myelosuppression as well. You don't see this one as much as some of the ones we're about to talk about, but it's definitely used. We also have another oral capsule option, which is dimethyl fumarate or Tecfidera is the brand name. Um, this is one that has uh, basically been shown to activate the nuclear factor like two pathway. Um, so that's something that's involved with cellular response to oxidative stress, basically. And uh, it can cause this flushing sensation. So to prevent that, we will typically pre-treat with something like a, an aspirin 30 minutes prior to the dose. Administering it with food as well can help. Um, some adverse effects to kind of monitor for. It can cause hepatotoxicity, so we need to monitor LFTs. It can cause neutropenia, so we're checking uh, CBC and monitoring that. Um, th that is reversible if you do start to develop neutropenia. So you know, we have some, some room there if we do have some adverse effects, but um, just making sure that we're keeping an eye on the patients. 
I would definitely say that this is the most common um, oral agent that's used. So it's used pretty frequently, especially for patients who don't want the injections. Um, that flushing is significant, and that is a good way to uh, prevent it. There's also a cousin that was approved not too long ago of Tecfidera, uh, branded as Bumerity, deroximal fumarate. Um, and it is, it's supposed to, it's been, it's, it, they advertise that it has less flushing and kind of less overall side effects than Tecfidera. Um, usually, um, a, a patient, well, at least this is just my experience. Usually they'll start with Tecfidera and then maybe be switched to Vimerity, um, just from what I see, but it's out there, um, and both are available and it might have a decreased risk for, for flushing. Is there any insurance like issues with that? Like if they have to start with Tecfidera first? I think it's because I think here's the reason now that I'm remembering, I think Tecfidera is generic. Mm. but is not so yeah. they will prefer that you start with a generic Tecfidera and then if you don't tolerate that then they'll have you switch to the branded Vimerity and that's what it is the tolerating it is it's a, a tolerance thing is um, there a difference in efficacy that you've seen uh, no not that I'm aware of okay. uh, a lot of times the page, they'll want to switch to the brand Tecfidera because apparently there is less side effects with the brand versus generic it's one of those things hmm. um, but a lot of times insurances say no and they say you have to try Vimerity first yeah that's what I see cool how often do you deal with MS drugs at your clinic um, me personally, not as much. I see it a lot, but a colleague does it all the time. Oh, it's okay. like a full-time deal. Cause you do more like epilepsy and migraine. I stuff, do epilepsy right? and migraine, but I cover for MS a lot. So <sighs> that is why. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, those are oral options. We'll, I think we'll touch on a couple more later, I think. Um, so there are IV options. So what we've talked about so far, sub Q and oral, um, IV options, there's Tisabri. Is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. Tisabri. Natalizumab, um, it's, um, like I said, an IV infusion. It binds to the alpha-4 subunit of integrins expressed on the surface of leukocytes. So this is what we are circling back to, which is the, uh, the PML, the Progressive Multifocal Leukoencephalopathy. So it has a, it has a box warning for that. Um, what it is is a viral infection uh, of the brain caused by um, JC virus, John Cunningham virus. That leads to death or severe disability. So they have a RIMS program for it. The RIMS program is called TOUCH. Um, some adverse effects to be aware of with this would be infusion reactions, also fatigue, depression, abdominal and back pain. Um, it's important to counsel people um, with MS considering this because discontinuing it can put you at an increased risk of relapse. Um, or even MRI-detective disease activity within six months of discontinuation, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, and this is one that they've also used in uh, treating Crohn's, but it was the last guideline update removed because of the the PML risk. Remember remember we talked about that? We did that not too long ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's one that uh, definitely, I think, fallen out of favor a little bit um, compared to some of the newer, better agents. Um, we do have another IV um, option, uh, which is uh, <laughs> I'm gonna always I always butcher this word, alemtuzumab, um, lemtrada. Um, this is also an IV. Like I said, it's gonna bind to CD52, um, which causes a, an alteration in the number as well as the proportions and properties of some of the leukocyte subsets um, following the the treatment and the infusion. Um, the dosing is basically given, uh, the first treatment is given 12 milligrams per day via IV for five consecutive days. Um, the second treatment is going to be the same 12 milligrams per day IV for three consecutive days administered 12 months after the first uh, treatment course. So um, 
Adverse effects, obviously, infusion-associated reactions are going to be the big one. Over 90% of patients have those. And, uh, you know, over uh, or other adverse effects are just like standard headache, rash, nausea things. Can you imagine if you were like one of like the less than 10% of people that didn't have it? You're just like, I'm fine. I know. Feel great. Better than you guys. Yeah. <laughs> you all, y'all all got this rash. That's some solid bragging, right? Just hanging out. Yeah. I, I would know. definitely talk trash to the clinic. But there's some ways to, to kind of prevent that, right? There is. We can uh, pre-medicate. With, I like how you got me on track. That was good. You're like, is it, if I remember correctly, there's some... <laughs> goes like, stop talking. Pre-medicated with, uh, you can use high-dose corticosteroids and, you know, very high-dose. We're talking like a 1,000 milligrams methylprednisolone or the equivalent. Huge dose. Yeah. It's a solid dose. You can be, I feel like you'd be up for like four days. I know. But... Uh, like I mean, if you had any... You know how old guys are always talking about their tennis elbow? Mm-hmm, I guess. What do they always What do they always say? They've got um, tendonitis. Yeah, mm. you know, old Southern guys are always. They always got tendonitis. My dad's hang, always. I don't, I don't hang out with them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm related to two. Oh, oh that's cool. Uh, my dad, you know, they've always had yeah. tendonitis, something like that. I have a feeling that that would just fix you for a while. Oh, you know, yeah, no swelling. Well, you no, you'd be swollen just everywhere else because yeah, right. of all the fluid retention. <laughs> that's true. You'd be like, I have diabetes now. <laughs> Um, the, there is an increased incidence of herpes infections um, that were seen uh, during the this, this clinical studies that were done. So um, there is some talk of like administering herpes viral prophylaxis starting the first day of treatment and continued for um, at least two months after completion of treatment or until the CD4 count is at least 200 cells per microliter. Um, I, I not a hundred percent sure of how often that would actually be utilized. Have you seen that at all? No. Yeah. No. Well, I I don't I haven't really seen this med. So, mm. so we sure. don't do we don't deal with infusions as much. So I'm not gotcha. familiar. Thank great Cole. <laughs> Leave me hanging. I'm supposed to be the somewhat expert here. You're today. the neurology guy. What are you doing? <laughs> Contraindicated in patients with HIV, um, and also uh, thirty to forty percent of patients will have some sort of a thyroid function impairment, um, and they're have been some um, specific case reports that have said, uh, you know, patients have developed esophageal candidiasis or tuberculosis even, um, listeria, meningitis, um, as a result of taking this. But again, those are single case reports, not necessarily seen in clinical trials or anything. Yeah. Um, Speaking of clinical trials, there were a couple called the CARE-MS1 and CARE-MS2 trials that involve Lumtrada. Um, So they compared it to high-dose um, subcutaneous interferon, uh, Rebif specifically, in patients with relapsing remitting MS who were new to treatment. Um, the Lemtrada was significantly more effective than the Rebif at reducing annualized relapse rates, which was good. Uh, the difference observed in slowing disability progression did not reach statistical significance. That was in the CARE-MS1 trial, the first one. In the second, Lemtrada was shown to be significantly more effective than um, then rebif at reducing annualized relapse rates, just like in the first, um, and accumulation of disability was also significantly slowed in the second trial. Uh, so that's good. Yeah. But of course, uh, there are uh, hangups with any infusion versus um, something that's an injectable that they can get a little more readily and that sort of thing. So I don't know if you if you could easily access one if you had to take one, would you do the infusion? Um, I mean, I think so. I don't know. I don't think I know enough about the infusions to make a determination all i know is i see rebiff a lot i just feel like that's so much uh, i mean other than the, having to deal with the huge dose of the corticosteroid i feel like the, getting an infusion and then i guess it depends on i mean how I, bad that infusion is i guess it depends on how 
you know, I don't know. I would have to look at closer at the studies to know the relapse rates and how significant that would be. I mean, we have a lot of patients on rebif. Typical patient. Just have to evaluate the studies before you get one. <laughs> I just get, have to do it that way. I just want both. Just that way I'm covered. The most common infusion that I see is actually the next one we're going to talk about, um, which is newer. Probably see commercials for this. Acrovis, um, mm-hmm. Acrolizumab. Uh, it's another infusion. It selectively targets and binds with high affinity to the cell surface of uh, to deplete CD20 expressing B cells. Uh, it does this through antibody-dependent cell-mediated phagocytosis and cytotoxicity. So it has a long mechanism of action. But this is once every six months, which is nice. You can pre-medicate with methylprednisolone and Benadryl 30 to 60 minutes before each infusion to prevent uh, reactions. Um, it can reactivate Hep B, so you have to make sure that um, patients do not have active hepatitis B infection. I shouldn't say reactivate, but yeah, it is contraindicated with an active hepatitis B infection. So look at that surface antigen. Yeah. Um, and it should be offered. So here's um, uh, why this is important. It should be offered to people with primary progressive MS who are likely to benefit um, from this. Ther- they are likely to benefit from this therapy. Um, uh, there are risks of treatment um, that outweigh the benefit, unless there are risks to treatment that outweigh the benefit. So there aren't a lot of treatments. I don't even know if there are any others that are going to be indicated for primary progressive. So that's why this one is important. Yeah. And then the monomethyl fumarate, wasn't that the one you were talking about earlier? No, I, no, the, no. the roxamyl fumarate. There's three oh. fumarates here, so it's confusing. Unbelievable. But, yeah. I couldn't remember which one you said as I was looking at this next slide. Um, okay. So monomethyl fumarates, um, the mechanism here is, uh, it, it's basically, uh, it's not 100% known, basically, not just because I didn't look it up like coal, but because it's actually not. Um, that's what LexiComp says. Um, so although uh, it is thought to have its anti-inflammatory and cytoprotective properties via that same uh, NRF2 pathway, it's not 100% you know, sure. Uh, warning signs uh, to kind of keep an eye out for uh, patients, you know, sort of having like flushing symptoms um, usually resolves with subsequent doses, but uh, you want to kind of administer that 30 um, or the aspirin rather 30 minutes prior to the dose to uh, reduce the incidence and severity. And then hepatotoxicity is also a concern. So monitoring LFTs prior to treatment and then throughout treatment at various stages. Uh, other common adverse effects, the GI issues, so diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, and then also uh, infection risk can go up a little bit. Yes. Um, so there were four drugs that have been approved since 2020. The monomethyl fumarate is one, Bafertam. Mm-hmm. Uh, another is Saposia. Uh, it's generic is Ozanamod. So I referenced earlier that we were going to come back to those sphingosine 1-phosphate receptors. Here um, we are. Here we are. We came right back to it, just like I promised. Um, so Xanamod has high affinity for sphingosine 1-phosphate receptors 1 and 5. I think the previous one we talked about was just, just um, one. receptor 1. Um, it, it similarly blocks the lymphocytes' ability to emerge from the lymph nodes. It does have some significant warnings. So AV block, um, it may result in transient um, AV conduction delays. And then bradycardia. So a transient slight decrease in heart rate, um, usually less than, this is what's been shown, less than or equal to 1.2 beats per minute may be observed um, about five hours after the first dose with another transient decrease in heart rate upon dose titrations. So um, not a significantly large, I mean, one beat per minute, I don't think is, it almost sounds like it's not even <laughs> noticeable, right? But it's there as a warning. Um, also some other adverse effects, increased risk for infection, um, as well as um, upper respiratory tract infection specifically. It does have some contraindications which uh, primarily relate to heart issues. Uh, so MI, unstable angina, stroke, TIA, 
Um, decompensated heart failure that required hospitalization in the last six months is going to be contraindicated there, um, as well as a Mobitz type 2, second or third degree AV block, sick sinus syndrome, or sinoatrial block, unless the patient has a functioning pacemaker, as well as, and they just throw this in there, severe untreated sleep apnea, mm. which we know that can have, has all sort of risk associated with that, but sleep, yeah. severe sleep apnea you don't want to use. Um, also contraindicated along with monoamine oxidase inhibitors. Whew. So, not good for our cardiology patients. Not great. Um, there was some studies that looked at uh, the Onzanamod, so the Sunbeam trial. Um, patients were randomly assigned to Ozanamod 1 milligram, 0.5 milligrams, or interferon beta 1A. Um, the primary endpoint was that annualized relapse rate, and uh, patients treated with Ozanamod for at least 12 months had a significantly lower relapse rate compared to the interferon. Um, there was also the Radiance trial. A lot of... Uh, you know, kind of sunbeam like radiance. Sunburst. Like, yeah, yeah. They're very they're bright. Really, very bright with their wonder why expressive that names. I don't know. It's kind of stupid. Um, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm like, I'm, I just, you know, I'm a truth teller. Um, it's just like kind of corny. Just give it a rest. They uh, analyzed the uh, Ozanamod data uh, at 24 months of duration, and basically it was uh, the Ozanamod was associated with significantly lower rates again of clinical relapses compared to the interferon beta 1A. So, seems to be a, a solid option. Yes. Compared to our standard. Old so, that's one of our newer ones. Um, the third newer one that was approved in August 2020 is Kasimta. Um, Ofatumumab. That is a tough one. Mm. Ofatumumab. 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 I don't like that one. I don't, I don't like that, that either. Um, so, it's a sub-Q Change injection. It. This is not acting on sphingosine 1. Um, but it, it's a monoclonal antibody that binds to the uh, CD20 on some immune B cells and depletes them. Um, it does have some adverse effects of upper respiratory tract infection, headache, and injection site reactions. And this can also not be given to patients with an active Hep B infection um, or patients who received a live vaccine within the last two weeks. Um, it, do you want to talk about this trial? Sure. So uh, the Aclepios, I believe is what the Aclepios. <laughs> A-C-A-S-C-L-E-P-I-O-S, <laughs> one and two trials. Um, that's like that's the, why you did that, Cole. That's a <laughs> that's dirty, I say, That was so ridiculous. Oh, yeah, you that's so hilarious this? because that is, you know how sometimes with the name of a trial, uh. I'm sure Sunbeam is not a perfect acronym. Like, I'm sure that they either left out some letters or slipped right. in some letters. But then this is what you this get. This one is the, I bet it's the exact acronym for whatever this Probably. trial was and called. And they're like, good enough. And they left it as a Slepios. Yeah. Now, now Sunbeam doesn't seem so stupid now. <laughs> I, I like some be a lot better after that nonsense anyways uh ofatumumab is uh was is compared um and, and shown to be uh, significantly lower rates of annualized uh annualized um, relapse rates um, which was the primary endpoint of the study compared uh, with teriflunamide um it also showed uh, a reduced um a reduction in the risk of three-month confirmed disability progression compared with teriflunamide and um it also had significantly reduced um, T1 gadolinium, gadolinium enhancing lesions and the rate of new or enlarging T2 lesions. So another good option with some comparative data, which I always, I always like comparative data. I do like comparative data too. Yeah. And so we do have comparative data with the newest options. So we referenced this one in our um, new drug update episode, uh, but it's Ponbori Panesimod. So you'll notice a trend with the uh, drugs ending in MOD. They're going to act on the sphingosine receptors. 
So Ponvori specifically acts on the sphingosine 1 receptor. Um, so that's similar to the Abagio that we talked about earlier. And they did put um, it up head-to-head versus Abagio, and they did show superiority as far as uh, superior reduction in relapses um, and lesions versus Abagio. Um, nine out of ten patients um, did not experience disability progression over the course of about two years. Um, there's a few different things to be aware of for it. It does have some uh, increased risk of infections. Uh, it does have some contraindications um, s- for similar reasons for the heart uh, issues that we've kind of been referencing. Um, if in the last six months they experienced an MI, unstable angina, stroke, TIA, decompensated heart failure, um, the needed uh, hospitalization, um, or the Mobitz type 1 or 2 second degree, second or third degree AV block, it is contraindicated um, unless they have a functioning pacemaker. So it doesn't have... Um, a first dose monitoring in most patients, but I think in certain patients it may need a first dose monitoring. Um, but that's the newest kit on the block approved in 2021. I like it. Yes. All right. So I guess just to kind of mention, you know, because the, the, for the long time we didn't really have two great options for primary progressive or secondary progressive disease. It was all based on relapsing, remitting. So like Cole said, the uh, acrolizumab was the primary progressive um, approved drug. But for secondary progressive, um, we have that uh, Lemtrada, we have the Ozanamod, um, Ofetamumab, blah, 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 blah. Um, That's the worst one. Yeah. Monomethyl, fumarate, um, spinach, uh, God. Sipana. Oh, geez. It's over. I'm done. Siponamod. Siponamod. Why can't I talk all of a sudden? Um, And then the uh, Derexamil fumarate as well. Um, But those are all uh, approved for secondary progressive disease. And um, whereas for a long, long time, we had relapsing remitting options, but we didn't have too much for the other forms. So that's that's good. That's correct. Um, so, you know, a couple of just things to note. If, uh, you know, a patient has an absence of, of relapses while they're on treatment, that doesn't necessarily justify discontinuation of treatment. So that conversation needs to be had with the patient to see if we need to actually stop therapy um, or continue on because we don't want them to go back and have a relapse because that can cause, obviously damage that may not revert back to a baseline. And uh, if a patient is switching from a disease-modifying therapy due to a suboptimal response, we want to utilize an agent with an alternative mechanism. So we're not just picking the same meds, ideally, or same class of meds, ideally. Um, the patient clinician um, access to uh, should have access to all available therapies, um, and that is you know necessary to basically um, provide the best response for that, you know, in, in tailored medication regimen for that particular patient. Um, there's a bunch of different patient assistance programs mm-hmm. and things like that. Then usually these, these types of meds have uh, clinics that have a t- staff of team that, you know, a team of, you know, people that are doing prior authorizations and, you know, access yeah. to things like that. Yeah. There's a lot of good ways to get these approved and, yeah. um, you might have to follow a you know, a bit of an algorithm, but you're going to be able to get some from the insurance, I should say, but you're going to be able to get something for MS approved for sure. Um, and as far as if you're beginning a patient on therapy, um, for one of these, they call them disease modifying treatments, disease modifying MS treatments. Um, if you have a definite diagnosis of a, relax, a relapsing MS, you're definitely going to get somebody started on treatment. If they have a first clinical attack that's consistent with MS, but um, it's just the first one, but you've excluded other potential um, causes, they would probably be indicated for treatment. Um, and then patients with progressive MS with clinical relapses or inflammatory activities, that all those you would want to initiate treatment for. As far as 
choosing which one it's definitely complex mike mentioned you know the the patient specific factors um it, it to me it's it's about um accessibility comorbidities and um, side effect profile for the most part and then we have certain head-to-head trials that show some more benefit um therapy definitely should be continued um indefinitely unless there's clear lack of benefit with the medication um intolerable intolerable side effects inadequate patient compliance or new data that uh, reveals a reason why you'd want to stop or switch um, or if there's a better a better therapy that becomes available um otherwise you're going to continue it and if not switch to a different one for sure because we do have a lot of options to continue to to switch to and uh sometimes it's hard to i don't know determine whether a patient is having clear benefit because it is a, a progressive disease of course so for the most part it's are there less relapses than there were is there less progression less speedy progression than there was it's kind of clinical judgment clinical judgment so a lot of it is related to side effects and tolerability yeah i mean and then updated data that comes out there you go yeah and just to kind of mention just a qu- few quick um you know sort of medications that we can use uh, to help with some of the long-term, you know, sort of side effects that we would see from having MS. So things like Cole had mentioned earlier. So, for example, spasticity. Um, we typically think of uh, medications like uh, baclofen, dantrolene, um, maybe even uh, like pregabalin or gabapentin would be some options. In the case of uh, patients suffering from certain bladder symptoms, um, are anticholinergics like oxybutynin um, or if they're having some spasms and things like that, you can use the um, like dicyclamine. You can also use some of the um, alpha blockers and things like that as well. Um, from sensory symptom, is you can use a lot of like anti-epileptic um, type meds, so carbamazepine, phenytoin, um, lamotrigine, uh, and then even uh, like duloxetine. Some of the things you think of for like nerve pain type. And that's of. kind of they can definitely have like central acting nerve pain yeah. disorders from that too. Yeah. Fatigue is the other big one, obviously, and um, this is actually where I always think about this drug, which is random. It's like the one random thing I remember from MS all the time, but amantadine for fatigue is an off-label use uh, and nerve treatment option for MS-induced fatigue. And then we, of course, have our stimulants, our modafinils and armodafinils, and then our methylphetidates, our amphetamine salts and dextroamphetamine, things like that. But yeah, there we go. I think we're already in now, man. That's great. Flew by. Look at you. It's great. Not saying we covered it all. There is a lot to MS. Oh yeah, but um, we really. Uh, I think we hit a lot of the important drugs. We hit the new stuff. Mm-hmm. You're up to date, man. Cole, like you're it. so positive. Yeah, I'm trying to be. People are listening, going. Mm. I know people who know me are like, that's not, that's not what you're like. You know, my dad, my dad's nickname for me is Eeyore. Eeyore? Is it yeah. really? I don't. Yeah. Th- I don't think so. Well, I don't believe it. I put on a face, Mr. Swanson. That's rude. <laughs> All right, guys, so make sure you check out uh, freece.com uh, for you unlimited members already. Make sure you get your credits. If you're not an unlimited member, get the discount code and join the website. That way you can listen and get credit for all of our super fun and interesting episodes. There's so many. And there's so much other better content than that, too. So that's what the real benefit is. You get to actually see uh, much better uh, speakers talk and do live content and stuff like that. So you won't get stuck with just Cole and me. And uh, also, if you have you know a desire for more like traditional style lectures instead of us going on our 
tangents and getting sidetracked, check out Patreon. Um, the link's in the show notes as well. So it's patreon.com slash coreconsultrx. I have all my lectures that I do for the PA students on there. And um, a lot of HENT stuff's going up there right now as well as, um, and I'm putting up practice like pharmacotherapy questions, for, like board style questions as well. I'm trying to include more of those lately. And uh, if you have any questions for Cole, myself, or AJ, uh, show notes, check out the email addresses or any of the uh, social media platforms. Uh, you can reach us on any of that. And uh, we'll see you guys in the next episode. Y'all have a good night.